Good evening, everyone. Um, it's great to, to be here. Thank you to Heather and the guys for leading us in, in worship um, tonight. Um, I'm thankful for the opportunity. Um, as we said last week, it, we started a little preaching class back, um, I think it was the beginning of the summer or end of the summer, I'm quite not sure. That's a long time ago. Um, and it's great to be here. And um, We're now talking about the, um, the fourth letter in this seven um, series to the churches um, in Revelation. And the first uh, church we, we heard about was Ephesus. We heard that they had lost their first, um, their first love and that they were encouraged to go back um, to the roots of who they were and who they served. Um, secondly, we looked at, at Smyrna, and they were only one of two churches that were not given a rebuke but encouraged to press on in the midst of severe persecution. Um, and then that um, followed on into uh, Pergamum, um, where we, uh, we heard that they were compromising their faith. They were compromised in what they believed and their belief um, system, and that they were uh, encouraged to go back to what truly said in God's word, despite of the evil days that they lived in. Uh, but tonight we're going to look at Thyatira. Um, I've come to um, pronounce it right. It took a long time. Um, but uh, Thyatira, I think, is kind of where you should be going with that one. Um, and uh, this is a church, uh, when I heard first heard I was going to be speaking on, on this church, um, as soon as I saw the word Jezebel, I was just like, oh no, there's a Jezebel. What do you do with Jezebel? Um, but hopefully we'll get some truth, some insight into what God's trying to teach us through, um, through this letter. Um, the, the passage is in Revelation chapter 2, and verse 18. If you want to turn with me there, um, we'll just read. Um, we'll just remain seated. Um, it's quite a, a media reading. Uh, starting at verse 18, uh, Revelation chapter 2, um, starting at verse 18. I'm going to have to remember to keep clicking this on. Um, it's on the screen if you haven't um, got a Bible with you. Let's read. To the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love, your faith, and your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess. By her, by her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and by eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent um, of her immortality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer immensely, unless they repent of their, her ways. I will strike her children dead, then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to, who, to you who do hold to her teaching, or do not hold to her teaching, and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you. Only hold on to what you have until I come. To him who overcomes and does my will, to the end, I will give authority in the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He will dash them to pieces like pottery. Just as I have received authority from my father, I will also give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Um, 
This was the smallest, um, the smallest of seven, seven churches. Um, it was about 40 miles southwest of Pergamon, where we were hearing from uh, last, last Sunday. It was kind of a blue-collar town, if you like. There was lots of trades, a very practical town um, in, its, um, in its business and, and what they, they sought to do to make money. It included many trades, uh, trades like uh, potters and bakers um, and leather craftsmen, and particularly um, the manufacturing of a special purple purple dye. Um, it was a very small uh, city, but it was a busy commercial, a busy commercial centre because it was the gateway to Pergamum, almost like what Lisbon is to Belfast. If Lisbon didn't exist, Belfast wouldn't exist. Um, that's just for all our Lisbon people. Um, but it was on a major. It was on a major road um, of, the Roman, of the Roman Empire, and because of this, many trade unions had settled here, um, and everyone who worked in Thyatira would have belonged um, to one of these um, trade unions, or guilds, as they're called um, in Scripture. Um, you will recall back in the, in the Church of Philippi, um, Paul mentions um, a lady called Lydia who sold um, this purple color. Um, I think it actually came from snails, I'm not quite sure, um, but she came from Thyatira, and it's mentioned... Um, in the letter to the Philippians. Um, it was an easy place to live as a Christian. Um, it was a very hard place. And just like the rest of the letters, the, the believers um, struggled to live in a way that they stood out for God and they were authentic, um, authentic believers. Um, and that became a massive, a massive issue. These, these trades, um, these trade unions became a massive issue. And as we'll see as we go through the passage, um, what that really meant to be part of one of those trade, um, trade unions. I mean, it's the longest letter, um, but notably, um, it's to the smallest, probably most insignificant church in terms of the size of the town and the size of the members. Um, but as we go on into the, into the, the passage, um, I forgot to move that on, sorry. Um, I want to look at maybe just four little points. And the first point is uh, the, 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 what God, uh, what Jesus does here is highlights his deity um, to the letter here. Um, in verse 18b into 19, he says, These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and your faith and your service and perseverance, and that, God, you are now doing more than you did at first. Notice that he uses this title here, the Son of God. It's the only time in Revelation that this term for Jesus is mentioned the Son of God. Um, this, this idea of stressing his deity um, goes right back to, um, you'll, you'll remember in, in Exodus, um, where, where Jesus, um, where God calls Moses to lead his people out of the lands of, land of Egypt. And in, in Exodus chapter um, 3, um, verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. And this title of the Son of God comes, um, comes very, very strong and very early. God is saying, Jesus is saying that I am the Son of God, stressing his deity. Eyes like blazing fire. Um, they pierce, they pierce us. Um, eyes that pierce right into our hearts to see what goes on in the innermost parts of our being. And then feet like burnished bronze. And these, this idea of fire and bronze were very typical of, of judgment um, in the scriptures. And this idea of, of burnished bronze um, was like trampling sin under his foot. 
So Jesus lays out who he is. He's almost saying, I am the Son of God, pay attention. And I wonder what the, letters, uh, the readers to this letter might have been thinking. I wonder what they would have been thinking as they sat down and listened to this letter being read from the front of their church, perhaps. It wasn't a Bible study. Um, it wasn't a second-hand read. It wasn't one of those magazines you pick up in the doctor's surgery and you have a flick through it. It was directed right to them. The very Son of God was writing them a letter and they were, they were to listen. And Jesus has their attention. He says, I am the Son of God. Secondly, um, we see that the recognition of the community that was there in the church. And this was a positive, a positive note. Um, Jesus says, I know your works, your love and your faith your service, and your perseverance. This is a stark contrast to what we saw written to the letter um, in Ephesus. They were rebuked for their lack of love. They were rebuked for their lack of community. But Jesus here is saying that you had love. Your love was good. You loved one another. You had faith. You had service. And you had perseverance. These were good things, and these are commendable things in any kind of church. These are commendable things in, in a church like Windsor Baptist. And these are, these are related. These attributes are related. Love leads to service. When we love one another, we want to serve one another. And faith leads to perseverance. And if you love God, you will want to naturally serve and love his people. You cannot help what, what that means, what that is in your heart. When you love people, you want to serve them. When you love your children, you want to do all you can for them. When you love your parents, you want to honor them. And this was natural and this was good. And God, Jesus is here commending that and commending that attitude of community and of love for one another. So here is a church um, on the outset that looked really good. Many people loved God and served his people. And they had faith in his word and they persevered in that word. And that is how any church grows. And it says in in Scripture that the church did grow. It said that um, what they had done in the past wasn't as good as what they were currently doing. And that is a sign of growth. That is a sign of a healthy church. And perhaps if we had been there on that day, that might have been one of the churches that we would have chosen to settle in because it was growing and it was vibrant. And it was doing what churches are meant to be doing. Loving one another and serving um, one another. It was a busy, bustling active church and it was a future thinking church as well it had dreams dreams to grow bigger and perhaps it had great dreams for their young people to see them grow and to grow up in a, in a godless society and to, to see um, their friends come to Jesus as well and what they had in front of them was better than what had gone before the potential here was great but in a New International Version, NIV, it said nevertheless. But in the, the, the kind of the version that I would use to study, the NLT, it says but. There is a, there is a, massive, um, a massive but here. And the but brings with it a twist. It's not quite so positive any longer. And we'll get into, into what that um, says a little, bit, a little bit later. But I was thinking back to um, what uh, Drew was talking to us about um, whenever he was talking to us about Smyrna. Um, and he was saying that um, the church back there, um, the letter started with um, 
I am the first and the last. I am the first and the last. This image of a God being so big and being so powerful and majestic, and yet he knows. And yet he knows. Um, but then this image of, of what God is, or Jesus is saying to this church here um, is that he is the Son of God. He is the Son of God. This, this is a big title as well, just like the first and the last. But what he's saying here is that um, down in, down later down in the passage in verse 23, it says, the hearts and minds. This is a God who wants to get into the deep, dark recesses of our hearts and minds. So here we have a, a huge God. We have the Son of God. We have the Son of God who was slain, who, who rose again and now sits at the right hand of God. But yet he wants to get into our hearts and minds. He wants to get into the innermost parts of our being. He wants to know what it is to have an intimate relationship with him. And he covets that for himself. He's interested about what goes on deep inside us. That's why these letters are written. That's what the purpose of these letters was. It wasn't because the brand of of what he thought church was to be was being destroyed and he was concerned about what the churches were becoming. It was because people were drifting away from a personal relationship, from an intimate relationship, just like we were hearing with the prodigal son, that deep relationship the father and the son had was now gone. It was now gone. And God, the Son of God, comes now and says, but... This is a big but. Some of us have them, and some of us have quite a smaller one, but this is a big one. This is a big but that we have to, we have to address, and we have to say, what does that mean? What does that mean for us? This image of this great group of believers starts to... Um, starts to be unearthed to something maybe that's not quite what, it, what meets the eye. It says, Nevertheless, or but, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and eating of food sacrificed to idols. And here we have then um, the third point, a rebuke for this kind of lethargy that is going on at the church. Whether that's the fingers being pointed at the church leaders or the church members, it's probably irrelevant. But Jesus here is rebuking um, these people for their, for their lethargy. This uh, woman, Thiot, um, Jezebel, sorry, was um, becoming an influential figure in the church. People were, were starting to, to listen to what she was saying to them. And the church had become accustomed to what she was teaching. Jesus names her Jezebel. That's probably not her real name. Um, it's probably not her real name. When you look at Scripture, Jesus sometimes gives um, people names that represent their character. Um, so this was a, a name that Jesus had given in this, in this letter, this woman Jezebel. And the, I just want to give you a bit of a profile as to, to what maybe Jezebel was and who she was in the Old Testament, and that's why Jesus chose to use this, this name. You'll see their Christian connection, the UK's leading online dating site for single Christians. I don't know how I know that. I don't know that. Um, I just Googled it and it came up. Um, and I want to kind of run through some of the attributes that she had, these awful attributes that how she is described in the Old Testament. She was the daughter of King Sidon, the, the wife of King Ahab of Israel. She is particularly noted for having made the worship of God Baal, um, or the false god Baal, popular in Israel. And Baal was a fertility god, and his worship involved immoral practices. 
It was Jezebel that spread the popularity um, and encouraged people to be involved in this degrading style of worship. And she supported over 800 prophets of Baal who, who regularly ate at her table. And she tried to kill Elijah. Um, she murdered her neighbor. Um, she was a ruthless, immoral seducer of the people back, back then. And according to the prophecy of the Old Testament, Jezebel ended her days by being thrown from her palace window into a courtyard. And um, dogs, as you know, were found to be licking the blood of her body. So she was a lovely woman. Um, she was a really nice woman and kind of the woman that you would look for when you went on to christiansingles.com or whatever it is. Um, but the big issue here um, that Jesus is trying to address is tolerance. Um, you'll see that the letter isn't directly um, focused on, on Jezebel or whoever this Jezebel was, but it was directed to the people for tolerating what she was teaching. The letter wasn't addressed to her. It was addressed to the people um, that, she was, that she was teaching. And that's, how, that's what happens with us sometimes as well, that we, we begin to tolerate things that maybe, maybe five or ten years ago we wouldn't have thought even that would have come into our radars doing Maybe that's stupid little things like starting to watch TV on a Sunday or whatever, but that's, um, in, on a serious note, those are the things that, that's how it happens. It, becomes, it happens slowly, gradually over a period of time. Um, there was a few of us at uh, Dublin Zoo on Thursday. Um, <clears throat> if you're planning on going over the next few days, I would probably wait off a little bit. There's a lot of works going on and um, a lot of the animals, you couldn't really see them, but it was a good day out nonetheless. Um, you should go to Belfast for now. Um, but I was, as I was dandering around, um, the lovely zebras or zebras, whatever they're called, um, the flies were landing on them. And I noticed they just would not tolerate these flies landing on their backs. And their little tails were going, oh, I've got a picture of a zebra. I'll give it to you. Um, <clears throat> their little tails were going mad. They just could not tolerate these flies being on their backs. Um, and as I was thinking about this, I thought, you know, that's a good picture of us not being able to tolerate um, tolerate things, and toler- tolerating things is good to a certain extent, um, but the, the letter clearly s- addresses here the fact that tolerance in this instance was bad because they were tolerating things that were against the truth of God's word. But we dandered around a little bit and we came to the, the pig um, stall or where, wherever they live and the big fat lazy pig uh, was just lying in the mud, covered in flies, completely covered in flies. And I thought about that um, it just didn't care. It was just too lazy to get rid of those flies. Um, and maybe, that's, maybe that was us. Maybe, we, maybe that pig started out uh, 10, 15 years ago and said to itself, do you know what, I'm going to be a flyless pig and I'm not going to tolerate those flies. And gradually as the years crept in, it became bigger and it became <clears throat> more lazy and it decided to just let the flies do what they wanted and to niggle away. And that's a stupid little analogy, but... Um, that's what happens. <clears throat> Maybe over time, there's things creep into our lives and we think, oh well, we'll let that one slide. It's maybe not as bad um, as we thought it was. <clears throat> but that's the, that's the problem. That's the problem with, with what sin is and what sin does to our lives. Um, Je- this Jezebel in Thyatira called herself a prophetess, and there was nothing wrong with the fact that she was um, that she was a woman. Her gender wasn't an issue at all, but.
But it was her teaching. It was her teaching that Jesus had a problem with. Um, She was a false prophet, and Jesus was strong in her language against her. And she taught that it was all right for Christians to become part of these trade unions. She taught that it was okay for Christians to be indulging in these things that were completely contrary to God's word and to God's standard, and to indulge in sexual immorality and and idolatry. And this this has gone back to the the link with the trade unions. In order to work in Thyatira in those days, you had to be part of these trade unions, and you had to be part of these guilds, as it were. And they met regularly, and they, they were involved in things that just weren't right. They were involved in practices that were contrary to what God would have been happy with. And God was displeased with it. God did not, did not like <clears throat> what they were doing. And we can see now that the significance of, of the opening letter, uh, opening line in this letter is, I am the son of God. And the, the, the gods that they worshipped in these guilds and the gods that they worshipped in these trade unions were not the true God. They offered food um, to these false gods um, and God realized that and the letter addresses them by saying, I am the son of God, I am the true God and you will not worship these false gods. <clears throat> I'm not suggesting, by the way, that these, these unions are the same today. Um, there's many people involved in unions and but back in the day, they were evil places, and um, for Christians to, to have employment, they would have needed to be, um, to be involved. And that's the problem. They had a choice to make. It was either put food on the table um, or live a wholesome Christian life that was God-honoring. And when Jezebel began to teach that, you know, hold on a minute, it's okay. If God wants you to have a living, if God wants you to, to provide for your family, well, you'll have to compromise. God wouldn't allow that to happen. And she taught that business was business and church was church. And it was okay to do this as long as you did this. And gradually their principles and their morals started to slip. Um, In small group on on Wednesday night, um, we were talking about um, Colossians 3. And verse um, 22 um, goes, Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything you do. Try to please them all the time. Not just when they're watching, serve them sincerely because of your reverent fear of the Lord. We discussed what action we would take if, we, if our bosses were asking us to do something that was contrary to, to God's word. But Jesus holds this church responsible. Jesus holds this church fully responsible. And he addresses it probably to the church leaders. Um, but that's probably not fair to do that. It's probably not fair to do that. A.W. A. Tozer um, says... Every man or woman is just as spiritual as he or she wants to be. Every man or woman is just as spiritual as he or she wants to be. Come back to what it said in in verse 23. You know, God wants to search our hearts and minds. He wasn't interested in just targeting the, the church leadership. He wasn't interested in targeting the head of the church. He wanted to get down the hierarchy and get into every single heart and every single mind. We're not programmed to be robots. We're not programmed to, to all live the same, to all act the same, to all do the same thing. God blesses us with personalities and desires that are unique to each one of us. So he searches our hearts and minds. So each of us is as spiritual as we want to be. We can't blame anyone else. 
And the main issues here being addressed were sexual immorality and idolatry. Um, and these things are kind of linked. We might think that those things are, are far removed from each other. Um, but what the clear teaching was that if, if somebody was to fall into sexual immorality meant that they just weren't interested in serving the one true God. If they were, if they were involved in that kind of stuff, they weren't interested in being loyal to the one um, true God because that sexual immorality, that temptation became their God. And it's true today that those things that take us away from God, those things that take away our, um, our time or tempt us to, um, to sin, they, they then become our God. They then become our God. And these people were deliberately rejecting the Lord's authority. If God told them not to do it and they were doing it, well then their God wasn't the one true God. And their result was then that they had to find, they had to find another God. <clears throat> whatever they were living for became their God. And it might have been the God of pleasure, um, even sexual pleasure or wealth or power or that lust or that drive for more power or fame. And those things are still rife today. We only have to look around and <clears throat> we see those things just take over and infiltrate, even in, infiltrate into the life of the local church. But the point, I think the main point here is, is, that is being made here is that the workplace is a place of massive temptation, even in the 21st century. It's a, ma- it's a place of massive temptation. And even here tonight, we have, we have businessmen, businesswomen, secretaries, professionals, school teachers, doctors, um, housewives, plumbers, tilers, whatever it is. And the temptation is every bit as great to fall into these traps of, of temptation and of, of those things becoming our God and shine away from what the true, true God says. I just want to read a little quote here. Um, I'm not sure who it was, but it's profound. <clears throat> and it says, The most subtle challenge to faith does not usually originate in public amphitheaters, but in the daily places where we earn the money we need to live. What the trades need, what the professions need, what all deployments of our lives need is not our soul, but our skills, not our worship, but our hard work. When we once learn this vital alignment of values, we will do better in our work and have fewer ulcers too. Idolatries, whether of the dramatic amphitheater type or the low-grade office type, always make you spiritually ill. And the punishment that God sets out for these people in verse 22 reflects the, the distaste that he has for these people, the distaste that he has for these acts of of just idolatry and sexual immorality. And this is heavy stuff for a, a Sunday night. I apologize for that. Um, but it's, it doesn't happen by coincidence because we all have to get up tomorrow morning and go to work. We all have to come up tomorrow morning and, and do those things that we're called to do, to put food on the table or to, to serve him where we are. But with God, there's always good news. There's always good news. And it, Jesus says here, unless they repent from her ways. Jesus always is full of grace. He's always full of grace. And that word, unless they repent, and that statement, unless they repent of their ways, is just grace. And that is God at the center of that. That is God. Um, The text later goes on to say that she was unwilling to um, repent of her ways, but that isn't the same for us. That isn't the same for us. There's always repentance and there's always mercy with God. 
but it's up to us to, to make that decision, whether we want to, to swim against the tide um, or just to go with it. And these corrupting influences can then become something that just we cannot, um, we cannot grapple with. Just finally then, um, the reward for consistency. Jesus recognizes these people's uh, efforts. He recognizes their, their desire to serve him in the midst of tremendous, um, tremendous temptation. And whatever was going on with the small pocket of people who were employed in these, in these trades, he commends the people who were faithful. And it says there, but I have also a message for the rest of you in Thyatara who have not followed my false teaching. I will ask nothing more of you except that you hold tightly to what you have until I come. And what did they have? Well, we, we talked about that already. They had love and they had faith and they served one another and they had perseverance. And verse 26 says, to all who are victorious, who obey me to the very end, so then I will give authority over all the nations. They will rule the nations with an iron rod and smash them like clay pots. They will have the same authority I received from my father, and I will also give them the morning star. What an amazing symbolic piece of scripture that is, full of promise and full of truth for these people who were faithful, for these people who persevered. He is saying, I will give you the morning star. You will be able to break these clay pots. You will be able to have influence. You'll be able to go into battle and, and do stuff that will, people will question who is the power amongst you. But finally, Jesus says to the church, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. It says this in each of the letters. He who has an ear, let him hear. <clears throat> but what's he saying to us tonight? What is he saying to, to Windsor Baptist uh, tonight? Um, he's saying that uh, I am the Son of God. He's laying down to the law and saying, I am the Son of God. And he's every bit as much the Son of God today as he was back when this letter was written. And we praise God for that. He's saying you're good at loving others. He's saying you're good at serving, you're good at persevering, you're good at what you're doing. Or is he saying, this I have against you? And I think this is where it comes a little bit more personal. This is where I think <clears throat> God's grace comes in because he says this I have against you, but that's not the end. And sometimes I think if God could just lift us all up, sometimes and give us a good shake and put us on our way again. But he's saying, I am the son of God. I died for these things that you, you, you temp you're tempted with. I died for the things and this, the sins that you, um, you throw at me. I died for those things and I, I, I dealt with them on the cross. And when I rose again, those things were put, put away. But these people, these, these people in this church were just too lazy to let go. They were too lazy to stand up and, and say, do you know what, I'm not going to tolerate that any longer. They were too lazy to do something about it. Just like the pig who was content just to, to wallow in the mud and let the flies crawl around him, they were too lazy to do something about it. And he's also saying... And hold tightly to your love, to your service, and to your faithfulness and to your perseverance. <clears throat> Just as I close, I want to read um, a quote um, from John Piper. I'm a, I'm a fan of John Piper. Um, it's maybe not as quite as profound as I would have put it, but I'll let him have this one. Um, that was a joke, by the way. He's great. Um, it says, What I hear from these two churches 
Ephesus and Thyatira is that walking in the light of love and truth is not a simple thing. It is fraught with dangers on all hands. It seems that for some the path of love is so simple. Sometimes I envy them. And he goes on to say, for me it is not simple. It takes tremendous spiritual insight to know when to be tough in vigilance and when to be tender in tolerance. In one direction lurks the Ephesian indictment that you have left your first love. In the other direction lurks the other indictment that you tolerate adultery. Jesus clearly does not want us to choose between these two, but to avoid them both. Love and vigilance, tough and tender, truth and grace. This is our calling, and it is not easy. Um, I couldn't have written it better myself. And what he calls us to here is grace and truth. He calls us to live lives of grace and truth. He calls us to live those lives of love, that love on people, that show forth the attributes of who Jesus is and who this Son of God is. But on the other hand, to do it with truth. We cannot tolerate false teaching. We cannot tolerate what it means to see God's name taken in vain in our, in our workplaces or to see those dodgy deals being done underneath the table. We cannot tolerate that. And if that costs us our jobs, well, then I don't know what the answer is to that, but we cannot tolerate it. We need to live lives of grace coupled with truth. Those two things marry together and become, become one. It wasn't enough for this church to be good at loving one another because Jesus targets their intolerance. And as I close, I just want us to, to ask ourselves that question about you know, where does that leave us? Where does that leave us? Will we leave here tonight with the battle cry in our hearts that we will, we will serve more honestly, we will serve more diligently? We will serve to do away with injustice. And we will serve to do away with immorality and idolatry and pluralism and slander. Whatever it is, what would that letter say to us if it was written directly to us? If it landed in our inbox in the morning, what would it say? This I approve of Windsor Baptist, this I approve of Windsor Baptist, this is what I approve, but this I have against you. Or as we've just, if we've went through this um, ordinance of communion, it comes personal. Um, we've just been through this ordinance that God gives to us as a reminder of what he has done for us on the cross. And those sins that we need to become less tolerant of in our own lives, those sins in our hearts and in our minds, those sins that grieve our holy God. But we need to acknowledge the grace that God has for us and to embrace it and to take it because it's there freely to, to receive. So this is what I approve of David Fraser. This is what I approve of David Fraser and this is what I have against you. What does God have against us? Maybe it's just that we will serve him better tomorrow or this week. Um, or maybe it's a little bit deeper and a little bit more soul searching than that. But as we come to, to pray, let us um, think about those things that we need to, to not tolerate any longer and to be like the zebra, that we kick it off and that we, um, we fling our tails around if we have them and we say that we're not going to tolerate those things any longer and be, be believers that will live in grace and truth. Let us pray.